y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources to remind you, you don't mom alone. You're listening to the fourth week of our Summer of Mentorship series. This episode originally aired in May of 2017. It was episode 166, and I'm thrilled to share with you mentor Helen Smallbone, mom to seven grown children, including the Christian music artists Joel and Luke Smallbone of For King and Country and Rebecca St. James. Sometimes mm. I think when we face life crises, what he's doing is he's setting a different foundation. And in this time, he took everything away from us. But in that refining process where God took away our resources, he took away family, he took away known culture and friends, that he gave everything back to us but was a different foundation where he was the provider. He showed himself to be faithful to providing for all our needs. And once that foundation was laid, we would never be the same. Now, I know as moms, we can't take credit for the good in our kids' life unless we also take credit for the hard things. But I'm telling you, after spending time with Joel and Luke and Israel and their wives, this family, ah, there's something special. And so I had to hear the story behind their move from Australia to America and how Helen ran her home, how she trained up her kids, and so many wonderful tips, including taking a time out as a mom, how to pray to God and wait on the Lord for breakthrough with certain behavior problems in our kids, focusing on the eternal value of building relationship versus the temporary focus of everyday tasks, how quantity time becomes quality time, and I mean, so many other things. I want to get to it, but before I do, I want to share a great resource with you from our Summer of Mentorship sponsor, Cultivate What Matters. One area y'all reach out to me about is how to grow your kids' faith. And I am thrilled to share with you a resource from Cultivate What Matters. It's the Write the Word for Kids Bible Journal. And they have a new version based on the fruit of the Spirit. Every day, your child's given a piece of scripture. They can write in the day's date so it's not already pre-dated and they can put how they feel, what they're grateful for. They can write the scripture verbatim or respond to it. And then there's a page for journaling, drawing art, and they can do this side by side as you're having your quiet time with your Write the Word Bible journal. They're beautifully made. So, so great. Go check it out over at cultivatewhatmatters.com. And because you're Don't Mom Alone Listener, you get 10% off their site if you use the code don't mom alone. So go check it out at cultivatewhatmatters.com and use that code don't mom alone to save 10%. All right, let's get to my chat with Helen. Here we go. Hey, Helen, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to tell you now, I haven't told you yet. I really wanted to have you on. One, to hear the backstory uh, behind so many beautiful people that you've helped raise. Two, yes, you have children that have done some big things on stages, but I want to tell you, having spent time with your sons and their beautiful wives, I was in this hotel with strangers on my 40th birthday, and although it was exciting, we were heading to Israel, I wasn't with my family or my friend, yet your sweet boys and their wives took time to go and get me a birthday cookie 
and bring it back. And it said, <laughs> happy birthday, Heather. And they sang to me, happy birthday. And it just felt, it was just like this moment of being seen. And I felt that the entire trip, your boys saw people. They met people where they were. You know, they were learning. They had a passion for learning. They had a passion for life and joy. And they were wonderful people outside of talents and accolades and fame. And as I was on a bus, uh, I said, Joel, I think I want to have your mom on my podcast. I need to know what she did (laughs) to get this family, (laughs) such a beautiful family. And uh, I know these things don't just happen. I know that God hands us people to steward well. (laughs) But I would just love one, if the gals listening don't know, I would love for you to introduce them to your family. Okay. Yeah. Well, my name's Ellen, and uh, I've uh, just had a birthday too, not long ago, and just Happy turned birthday. 62. Happy birthday. And uh, thank you. And I have married, been married for 42 years to my husband, David. He's really been the love of my life. There's really never been anyone else uh, prior or, of course, uh, post. And then we have seven children. Um, I've described them as bookend girls. Uh, 14 years apart, and then five boys in the middle. Mm. Uh, So we've uh, definitely followed the journey of motherhood. I think that God has led us on a fairly unique journey. I know all our journeys are original and different, but I think the journey he had us on was very unique in the fact that um, when my husband turned 40, uh, he had dramatic life change, Hmm. Uh, things happen in his life. He had a business reversal. He had plans that he thought were going to provide for his family for the future, and they did not eventuate. And we came to this life crisis point where he had to sit back and say, well, who am I really, and what am I I meant to be doing here? Hmm. And that led us to selling everything that we had and uh, 25 years ago, moving the family, which at that point entailed six kids and me being six months pregnant mm. with my youngest daughter uh, across from Australia to America. So it was, I look back at it now and it feels surreal and it feels like, what on earth were we thinking? <laughs> but at the time, we had minimal choices, I suppose, and this just felt the right next. So for you as the wife in that situation, for the gal listening, I know um, we've recently gone through this where my husband had to do a job switch and sometimes it's not by choice and sometimes it is. How did you as a wife support him through that or walk through that with him and not let your own fears or, I mean, you're leaving family and friends, I'm assuming, in Australia and going to a very far away place. How did you manage, I know 25 years ago, it's hard to remember exactly, but to give advice to the gal that might be doing that as well right now? It was a matter of multiple things. Mm. Um, We had been in Christian music in Australia, and Australia is a post-Christian country. So we were living a little bit on the edge anyway, Mm. and when everything fell apart, we had very strong relationships in business relationships with a lot of artists in America. Um, My husband in Australia was a concert promoter, And he would bring in American artists um, every couple of months to tour Australia and he would be the national promoter for 
Christian concerts throughout Australia. So he'd invested heavily in a lot of people here in America. So when this sort of trial came, one, I don't think there was much else for him to turn to in Australia. That would have been something that he could have embraced and loved. And a husband who's in a job that he does not enjoy mm. kills the life out of him. Yeah. I definitely felt he had the enough get up and go to be able to create a scenario where he would find work. Like he's not a passive waiting for something to come to him. He actually goes out and sort of opens doors. Yeah. Um, so he's the promoter, so he's fairly sort of strong. And then thirdly, I think I really felt that this was, I suppose, God's leading. This was the door that God opened for us to follow. And I'm an adventurer. I don't like normal life. So, <laughs> you know, when I saw an adventure of a new world and not seeing many choices or any other choices really back in Australia, this just seemed the next step. And I was probably fairly naive now that I look back. <laughs> Thankfully, is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I can imagine if you're pregnant with your seventh and you have these six young kids, and you know, yeah, let's do something different. I've <laughs> I've been making children yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, that's exciting. So you come to America and you all start off, and just like any starting story, I'm sure it wasn't easy breezy, beautiful, and just success, immediate success. And uh, tell us a little bit of that transition to the new place and the new experience. So when David brought us over here, he did have a verbal commitment from a Christian artist here in America that he had a very strong relationship with to manage him here in America. He knew we were coming to Nashville. He knew he had a real estate agent who was looking for a rental property for us. But really we came with two bags each. So 16 bags, eight of us traveling, and that was really it. The issue happened, and and we had started homeschooling before we left Australia. So I had a friend in Australia who had taken their kids out of school and had noticed a big change in the family structure. They had a large family too. And we'd taken them out of school in Australia. So when we got settled in Nashville, the school year had already started. We got settled in Nashville um, towards the end of September and we were so reeling from culture shock, yeah. uh, being alone, whatever. None of us could handle not being together. Mm. So we chose to continue to homeschool. So we were together. So everything that we faced, we were actually together on. And really, you know, the Bible says, you know, to seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you and that he'll supply all your needs. God definitely did that for us because after we were here for two months, the job that my husband had actually disappeared mm. um, and uh, we were left without a job. Um, and so we had to survive. Uh, that was probably the scariest thing that had ever happened, you know, really, at the end of the day. That was very... Um, we were really thrown in the deep end then. So people in the community heard about us and the community, the church actually came by and supported us. And then we learnt to work together as a family. So we were offered, first up, we were offered our breaking jobs in the local community and we were quite a, a workforce. Yeah. Um, we, My daughter, eldest daughter, who was 14 at the time, was offered babysitting jobs. 
Um, then we got into cleaning jobs. Then my sons got into uh, mowing and gardening. And so we were basically a pretty well-known in our community, you know, family that if you had some odd jobs to do to call us and then we would come and do those. And then David did get another uh, management job event after a few months um, that basically paid our very basic bills. But the kids learnt to go out and do what they could and they really helped put food on the table. Mm. Um, the, the job that David had covered our rental needs and things like that, but, but the kids actually um, ended up putting food on the table. So we really learnt to live by faith over probably a two-year period and we saw God supply our needs. Well, I think Joel said like George Mueller moments you had. Like where the orphanage, yep. where they just a truck would break down with bread outside. But like, what were some of those stories where God just provided? Well, well, we did not have transportation because hmm. we didn't have enough money to buy a car, um, and we definitely didn't have money to rent one. So we were sort of borrowing cars from neighbours and things like that for a while, and then um, we were here for about two months. And I happened to go to a church um, homeschooling Thanksgiving dinner, and the gentleman there sort of. And my husband actually wasn't with me at the time, and he sort of cornered me and was was uh, talking to me about why we were in America and what our story was. And he came up. It was getting pretty late, and I said, we're a big family. You know, you're going to have to pick us up and drop us off because we don't have a car. And he said, no worries, I can do that. And then I was getting pretty tired. I was about uh, eight months pregnant at that point. And uh, I said, really, we, we probably need to go home. Do you mind taking us home? And he came up and he had a set of keys in his hand and he said, I said, well, what are those for? And he said, I really feel God wants me to give you our van wow. um, so you can drive home. And here's, here's the keys to our brand new car. Wow. And uh, that was mind-blowing. Mm. Um, we also had a local Sunday school class who heard that we had no furniture in their house and they took it upon themselves to come over and walk through the house and just sort of say, okay, they need this, they need that. And then a truckload of furniture just arrived and they, they filled our house with furniture. We just ended up seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. We knew God's hand upon us. And any time when it was really hard to get up in a day, something would happen, whether it be someone dropped some groceries off, whether it be a check in the mail, whether it be just a friend calling over. But something would happen that would encourage us that to just keep on keeping on and just live a day at a time and and see what God does. It's such an encouraging story to me because sometimes we look at the end, you know, the success or the fame or the the good things happening, and we don't know all of the faith and the trust and the reliance on God that happened before all of that, or yep. the the sacrifice, yep. um, the service, the fact that your kids did serve and you were bonded as a family. Uh, is such a testimony to putting those things in first. Don't seek the fame, seek God. <laughs> and he, yeah. and like you said, seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Yeah. And yeah. I think he had to pull apart. Sometimes mm. I think when we face life crises, yeah. what he's doing is he's setting a different foundation. Mm. And basically my husband had always been a good provider. And in this time, he took everything away from us. He took, we had no money. We had no resources. Like It's not like we could pull from, you know, thousands of dollars in a bank somewhere. We had no resources. 
We'd basically sold everything before we came to pay debt that we had in Australia. Um, we came with what we were pretty much standing in. And it was a hard time for my husband to not feel he could step up and be the provider that he wanted to be. But in that refining process where God took away our resources, he took away family, he took away known culture and friends, that he gave everything back to us but was a different foundation where he was the provider. He showed himself to be faithful to providing for all our needs. And once that foundation was laid, we would never be the same. We, mm. That foundation changed us so deeply that we couldn't go back to the way we were before. Mm. And you mentioned the homeschooling and the kids were working. Did you continue the homeschooling? Yes. Um, after a couple of years, our eldest daughter, Rebecca, um, got a record contract we frankly probably couldn't have afforded for the kids to have had gone off to school again because they were part of the, the breadwinners. They were definitely helping for us to survive. And then we just so enjoyed being together and doing things together and working together and that that was a very strong foundation as well. So that when she got a record contract and um, my husband and her would, would travel off, after doing that, on and off for a little bit, we realized that we just still wanted to be together. Mm. So we decided that we would do it simply. Um, Rebecca performed tracks and uh, we had minimal lighting and sound. And then the family became actually the crew. So one of our boys, our next oldest boy, Daniel, he learned how to program at 18. He learned how to program moving lights. Uh, <laughs> he'd already been using sort of still lights before that. At from about age 14, he'd been using sort of minimal lighting, but um, he went off to uh, sort of a school to learn for about a week or two to learn how to program moving lights. We upped our stage expertise. Uh, the other boys would help with setting up sound and, um, and just be the road crew, and we just did it all together. And so their skills grew as their skills grew, so did the lighting, so did the sound, whatever. They found their areas of expertise. Joel, who is now in for King Country, he started being a stage manager at age 12. I love and, that. Uh, <laughs> he told me about that. Yeah. I was like, that is, I have an almost 12-year-old. And I could see my son doing that, but, I mean, we don't have the opportunity. That's so awesome. That well, How many amazing things do you learn doing that oh, at that age? incredible. 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 Because what he learned was how to manage because yeah. um, he would have volunteers come who were a lot older than him, so he had to relate to adults. He had to focus on the, on the needs at task. He actually had to manage the volunteers and tell them how to do the jobs that they were required to do. Um, and we would go to some commercial venues where um, the union people would come up to our sound guy who was uh, an adult and how he would say, hey, that kid can't come on the stage. And our sound guy would go and say, if that kid does not come on the stage, this concert won't go on tonight. <laughs> like he is in charge of the stage. <laughs> and so then they would have to acquiesce and just be like, oh, gosh. And you know what? Joel managed, and, and the other kids too, managed to earn the respect of those union people by the end of the night hmm. because he had so grown up with understanding how to manage manage people, how to work with people, um, how to communicate. And, and so those as those skills grew, so the responsibility grew. 
And what was your role in all of this? Jack of all trades, I suppose. Um, keep an eye on my youngest daughter who uh, would like to go into concert venues and disappear and scare the daylights out of me. Perfect youngest um, child make, behavior right there. Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. Independence, mm-hmm. disappear, you know, whatever. Um, didn't like to be told what to do. But also probably just being the middle person, uh, being coming a pretty good listener. Uh, being approachable with uh, management stuff if if things weren't and sometimes we'd we'd end up arriving at a venue and our boys might have been there when they were getting older they might have been there for a few hours and we would rock up later and then we'd hear a volunteer say hey so you're the parents of these guys and like yeah and they said yeah you could definitely tell our brothers how they treated one another you know so it definitely wasn't a perfect uh so that was going to be my next question. They all sound like they get along really great and they're all still working together, which is a testimony yeah. like that they like each other. But did they ever have the sibling rivalry or the, the disagreements that feels like is my everyday? I think so. I think every family. I mean, that's why God puts us in marriages, why he puts us in families to show us, um, mirror to us. Mm who we are and what our rough edges are and what are the things we need to work on and and hone us into a more Christ-like behaviour. So definitely um, there were irritations between one another, but a lot of times they actually learned to accept who their personalities were, I think. And still to this day they get irritated by different things about one another, but they've learned to understand the giftings, the unique giftings that each of them bring to the table, hmm. and they work around the things that irritate them. Hmm. Um, and I think that's growing in who we are as people, and, and that's the way that God planned it to be. Are we ever going to be perfect? Definitely not. <laughs> no. We can accept people's uh, strengths and we can accept people's weaknesses. That's a huge part to being able to live in, in peace with, with different people. I'm imagining with, you know, girl bookends and these five boys in the middle, uh, you had to do a lot of training with your words and with your actions. What was something you repeated a lot in your home? What are some values for you, like things that you would consistently tell them, like we're going to, this is how the small bones are? I know. Well, there were a few. I was not always as focused upon actions as I was upon attitude. Hmm. And I don't remember my – they would know my mumisms, but I don't remember my actual mumisms. But I did focus on attitude. So if different kids would have different chores around the house and stuff, and if they did them with attitude, then I would say I would double their workload. So I would say, okay, you were meant to unpack this dishwasher. You've actually done it now after maybe some reminders. But you did it with attitude. So you're not only going to unpack the dishwasher, you're now going to sweep the floor, whatever. So they actually, so I would double their workload because, until they got a good attitude. I would make them keep working. So if they then um, complained so about, oh, mom, I have to sweep, then you would add another thing? I'd add another job. Yeah, okay. If it was disrespectful, yeah. if it was disrespectful or their attitude was anger, we mm. would deal with the attitude. Mm. And they would learn pretty fast that it was probably better to have a good attitude and do the job than just do the job because the attitude paid more to me than actually the, the work. I was just going to say, I think that helped lay a different foundation. I remember when our eldest son 
um, and I tell this to young nuns. Our eldest son, this is when we were back in Australia, he came in from school because they were in school for a while in Australia, the oldest kids were, and uh, we had an argument. It was post coming in from school. He stormed down the hallway and slammed the door, Hmm. at which point I'm like, okay, that's unacceptable behaviour as far as I'm concerned. So I must have sent... I had a habit of sending everybody to their rooms. I would sit down and have a bit of a quiet time to calm myself. And then I went down there and I opened the door and I said, don't ever slam that door in my face like that again. And then he was still furious. And I was still pretty angry too for whatever the, the whatever had happened. But um, I ended up going to him and saying, hey, you may not like me at the moment, but this isn't about liking one another. It's about love. We love one another. And because of that, we're going to action on that love. And I said, come and give me a hug. And eventually he came, gave me a hug, and uh, he broke down. He cried. I cried. Uh, we prayed together. Mm. And I reckon from that day on, the bond that we had as mother and son had changed. Mm. So I think God puts us in our homes. He puts us in these relationships to grow and we've got to action that within the home when those when we have peace within the home between one another as best we can as imperfect people then we're going to take those skills into the outer world and uh, another thing I used to do if there was sibling rivalry over something I would actually make them work together for longer so if they had you know gotten upset with other one another about a toy or whatever I would end up making them sit there for longer until they learnt to uh, to play together. That's really interesting because normally you would say, okay, everyone separate, yeah. like what you'd said no. earlier, like go to your room. And I may do that first step yeah. and then I'm going, again, the lesson is we're love. a family. We love one another. We've got each other's back. Hmm. This behaviour is not good enough. Now you're going to learn how to play together. So you're going to sit down together. You're going to follow the principles of, you know, you'll share, you'll, you'll do, you know, and invariably, it might take a time or two, it might take a reasonable amount, it might take reintervention, but they'll learn to sort it out and to just get on better. I think, too, it's so good to hear from a mom like yourself who has gone all the way through this and your kids are grown because in the moment, the repeating these lessons or the continual oh, yeah. <laughs> working, it feels oh, like, yeah. do I still, we still have to talk about this? We still yeah. are dealing with this issue and you can get discouraged and think, is it even worth it? Is it ever yeah. going to stick? And I also know that we serve a God who knows each of us intimately. Mm. And as a mum, we can birth these babies, we can have these children, but we really, it's hard sometimes to get inside a child's head to understand what makes them tick, to understand what their needs are, to understand why they're acting like they are. And so sometimes when it had been a repetitive behaviour and you've dealt with it in your normal your normal way, you've had the talk, you might have given them time out, you might have punished them by taking away something good. For those of us who spank, you might have spanked them. But the behaviour still happens and then you're just like, well, I, you're starting to learn, my goodness, I'm not sure how to handle this. Like it's not, none of my normal, you know, responses are really working here. In that scenario, I would always well, try and go into my room, have my own time out. Sometimes I'd send to the kids 
to their rooms and just say, hey, I need time out. Like, I just, mm. you guys are all going to sit there until I come back. I don't want any noise. I don't, you're not allowed to leave your room. But I need time out. And I would go into my room and I'd just pray and say, God, what's going on here? Mm. Is this a developmental thing that this child's going to grow out of? Is this a long-term habit that's forming that needs to be corrected? The child's not responded to anything. What do I do? And invariably, I mean, I would say every time, but maybe not, I don't, but invariably, something as I sat and listened, something would come into my mind mm. that I would never have thought of before. And it could be, you know, they need to sit down and, or play with somebody, you know, the person they got the issue with. It could be they're not getting enough attention from you mm-hmm. and you need to give them some more attention. Mm-hmm. It could be a new way of, of disciplining them or punishing them or talking or whatever. And it was amazing how many times I would get breakthrough from just learning to sit and li- take my small little issues to God and learn to sit and listen. That's such wisdom right there. Such wisdom. Uh, two things. I have two questions that came up when you were talking. One was, how did you do one-on-one time when you have seven kids? How did you manage that? Did you just, when you noticed they needed more, did you have a scheduled time with them? Um, Probably. uh, It's hard for me to remember back, but I do know one thing. There's actually two principles I think that I probably tried to implement or that I learned on the journey. One is, there's a Bible verse that says, fix your eyes on things that are eternal for the things that, that they last forever, not on the things that are temporary. And when I look around a mother's life, we spend most of our time on things that are temporary. We're cleaning, we're yeah. laundry, we're picking up, we're dropping off, we're, you know, what, whatever it might be. But there's things that are going to be here tomorrow, but they're not really, they're not eternal things in a way. They're, but they have to be done, but they're not the big picture thing. No one's going to sit back and think, well, how incredible, how wonderful mum kept the house or that our laundry always looks so perfectly folded. But if if I had to choose, I try to learn to discipline myself that if a kid came up and said, hey, mum, can you come and sit with me and read me the story or, or, or play with me with this Lego or whatever, I don't know. And I had jobs to do, you know, work pretty hard when you've got seven kids. I would see that try and be aware enough to see that as a cry for I need you. Hmm. I would see that the time that was spent with that child was going to be an eternal thing because we were talking about love, we were talking about relationship. It was something that was not going to be here temporary just for today. And I would try and choose relationship over stuff. And the way that I would often do it is, hey, you know, Daniel, I was going to put a load of washing on, but hey, if you come and help me, I could get it done quicker. I was going to unpack the dishwasher. We could get it done quicker, and then I'll have time to sit down and play with you. So I would invite them into my world because I feel like quantity time with one another creates quality time. And then I'd invite them into my world, and then I would go into their world. And, mm. and it was a compromise, but we were still spending time together. The child still felt wanted. They're learning skills because they're stepping into your world of what needs to be done. And then you're stepping into their world and loving on them, which is just incredible. Mm. So I think there was 
that element that I learnt was an important one. I learnt that negative behaviour evokes a response. So negative reaction is better than no reaction at all. So a child can resort to negative behaviour in order to get your attention. And if I felt that that was again happening, then I'm realising something about the child. The child's not getting enough attention. And then I would just try in whatever they're doing to sit with that child, whether it be if they're watching TV, you know, come sit on my lap. And sometimes just that cuddle time, that touch time is just so important. Sometimes it might be, hey, you know, Ben, come and help me do this little thing here. I I just want to spend some time with you. I like how you add that at the end, though, instead of just saying, help me do this, like in a, it's a job that you have to do, like a saying, out, saying, laying it out for them, and especially for boys, exactly what's going to happen. Like you get to spend time with mom where they might not intuit that. That's good. You know, and a lot of times I think boys especially have to be kept very active, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I know when we were homeschooling and I'd get them to try and sit down and do schoolwork, sometimes I'd be like, hey, guys, go and go around the house 10 times because you guys just haven't got it together here at all, you know, and you can't expect somebody who's got X amount of energy to just sit and do the right thing all the time. You know, you've got mm-hmm. to you've got to recognise that they're boys and they've got to use that energy. Um, and, and these days, you know, with ADD and all the other stuff, there's probably boys and girls that are similar. But you've got to recognize they've got that energy and try and not stifle it, but get them to use it. And then hopefully you can create uh, some better time afterwards. So my other question for you, too, is you mentioned, you know, taking that time out for yourself and praying to God and getting direction from him. What did time with God look like in those years with young kids at home and making time to be in his word and to pray? Oh, gosh, now you're you're stretching my memory, I suppose. Um, <laughs> well, I know some I moms are well, like, I just don't have time to be in God's word. I don't have time to pray. Did you make that time? Did you set aside okay, a time? Well, yeah, I think, I think another foundation that I really had that I know a lot of moms fall into the trap of um, because I've been there, done that. And that is that you often do have a section of the day, usually, you know, after lunch, where kids do go down for a nap. And for those who don't go down for a nap, I would train them to go and sit on their bed and read quietly. And that would give me an hour or so, sometimes it might be more, where I could have a quiet time. Then you've got some choices to make. You've got some choices. Is this now going to be me time or is this going to be me, me be catch-up time? And I found the times when I used it as catch-up time, which means I fold the laundry, I get the, you know, whatever, clean the house, vacuum, whatever. When the kids had gotten back up again, I had nothing left. Mm-hmm. And that five to eight routine is so intensive that if you don't have anything left at that time because you haven't fed yourself, you're going to fall apart. Once you fall apart, you'll end up nagging your husband and taking out your frustration on your husband. You'll end up taking it out on your kids. So in that time, as hard sometimes as it is, I would have that hour that would I would use it for me for what filled me up. Sometimes that might be uh, you know, a power nap. It might be a 15, 20-minute power nap. Sometimes it might be reading a devotional because that's often something that can feed you and inspire you quickly 
without getting so far into Bible study where you really don't have the mental energy to concentrate to do it. Sometimes it might be some, some it wasn't for me so much, but some, well, I did journal a little bit, but it might be journaling. But whatever feeds you and fills you up. But I was probably more of a devotional person because it's more straight intensive and someone's feeding me more so than me trying to maintain. Um, sometimes I found if I tried to read the Bible too, too much, like if I did the one-year Bible or whatever, and I would read the passages, but if you said to me, gave me a comprehension test at the end of it and said, okay, tell me what you were reading about, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. if I concentrate on a smaller passage, that feeds me better. Yeah. That's good. So looking back and thinking of how God grew you through those years, um, what was something that before kids or in the midst of kids you really struggled with that God has refined in you? I think I've probably learned to be more patient. Hmm. Um, I've learned to be a better prayer. I'm learning even now at this point. I, I A lot of you, view, uh, the listeners are going to be younger mums who are tired and are physically tired, uh, who are in the the stress and strain of rearing younger kids that are physically demanding. When you get to adults, you never finish being a mum. You never finish being a parent. But a lot of times the the involvement that you have becomes more emotional. And yet with adult children, you can't get in there and give them a time. You know, you can't do anything as much anymore. You can't control anything. No, and I've learned to be a better prayer. I've learned to actually write down um, prayer lists to pray for specific things, not for general things, and to try and make them relevant to either my concerns for different children, um, couples, whatever, families, or to what what I think their needs are. And it's amazing to me over time, as you get very specific with God, how you will see his answered prayer. Mm. So I think patience, walking that line of I would never say I'm a prayer warrior. I don't think I I am. But taking things to God, opening my hands and letting him do his thing. Mm. And that's an ongoing learning process that continues. It's a godly grandma. As someone told me, a grandma's role is to pray. (laughs) That's really good. Yeah. I I remember my grandparents, you know, saying that they were praying for us. So that's, it's an encouragement uh, as we're in these years of, a lot of decisions and raising young children to know that there's someone holding us up in prayer is um, such yeah. a good thing. Such a good thing. I know my mom yeah. has her list that she prays through every morning. So it's such an encouragement. Uh, and now that you're seeing your kids and they're growing up and you're seeing them work together and do great things. I just saw for King and Country got nominated for, or they're in the runnings for K-Love Awards. And how do you handle all that as, as their mom and their adults, like, I know you pray for them, but what is that like for you? I, I, you know, you mentioned you're not really into being in the spotlight. So how do you maneuver all of that? Um, I like to go out on the road um, just to have a presence there. So I do have a responsibility when it's a for King Country, and I did it for Rebecca as well. When it is a for King Country, um, they're promoting the concert. They'll have sponsorship and it will be Compassion. Um, and so I look after the volunteers who come and at the concerts uh, to work as a King Country show. 
And uh, so I do that. I like to get out on the road to be with them. I suppose I still speak into their lives Mm. and they give me enough respect to allow me to do that, which I'm very privileged uh, to and appreciate that. I don't take it for granted. And still to this day, um, if I see, I don't take the stage seriously. I suppose that's another thing. I don't take the stage seriously. It's like they're just going to work. I know it's a public profile (laughs) and I know that people are role modeling them. So, yes, they are held, I take very seriously to the fact, which they do too, they're held to a higher standard because people are looking up to them. We encouraged Rebecca and I think we encourage these boys too to make sure that their life is above reproach. Hmm. Uh, Rebecca actually came up with a line which I thought was huge. She said, where there are no secrets, there are no lies. Hmm. And so I encourage them to live fairly openly, to have strong accountability. I want them to finish strong more so than finish famous. Hmm. Um, And I think I'm not enamoured by the stage at all. In some ways, it becomes a noose around your head because yeah. you it restricts certain aspects of your life. You are held to a high standard. I'm very grateful that I'm still wanted to speak into their lives and to be a part of their journey. And uh, I think now, you know, I've been a road dog in some <laughs> ways uh, in a supportive role for... Uh, well, a lot of, I mean, definitely about 20 years. And that's just a part of life. I, my husband laughed because he said I, he thought when we got married that I married him for love. And he said he's, at, at about 10 years into marriage, I said, no, I actually, you, you, wherever you are, you create adventure. And mm. I, I married you for adventure. And, and he says, well, I've done a great job because I've delivered. Um, and, and I like the change up. I like, I like being on the road, the movement of it. I like being at home and the feeling of, of safety and, and security and normalness of home, but I like the change up as well. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. That's very helpful. I think it's good for people to hear your perspective and all that, because I think it shows your motivation um, isn't to be this stage mom. You haven't crafted them to be this thing. You've embraced that it's happened. And it's, I think your character and your, the humble start uh, shows these boys. I'm telling you, I've spent a lot of time with <laughs> with them and ate meals and hung out and saw how they treated people. And they are men of character and they've married women who are beautiful and kind. And so I've only met a couple of your seven, but I can speak highly of them <laughs> and you have done a beautiful thing. Um, is there any last word of encouragement you would give a young mom listening? We've, we've traveled a lot and traveling has enabled us to spend a lot of time together. And um, my encouragement to a young mom at every stage of life Keep the communication channels open. Mm. Keep talking, keep listening. Um, It's so important to build that strong relationship where anything is safe to be talked about, where it's not going to be turned into a lecture and where they can feel that they're listened to. Um, I think that's that's really uh, a very strong foundation. So if your boys would come to you or your daughters and they'd say, hey, mom, this happened, did you you would just you would sit and listen without criticism or judgment? Um, obviously, I'm definitely not perfect. <laughs> My youngest daughter still, when she uh, tells me stuff, 
And then I'll say, well, you know, she'll say, mum, I know. You don't have to say it. <laughs> mm. And so I'm learning to shut my mouth Yeah, better. Yeah. Not easy. No, it's not, not easy. easy. That's that it's one. very hard for me. So that's that's good. That's very good. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story and encouraging moms. Oh, such a joy to hear from you. I love um, you were sharing with me this mom to mom ministry that you're a part of. I admire you for mentoring those ladies where you are, and for everyone listening, if you aren't in a relationship with a mom who is before you. She doesn't have to be a mom of grown kids. Someone who's just a few years before you is better than um, staying alone in your motherhood. Mm. I would highly recommend finding someone, Mm. ask them, say, hey, would you just meet with me? Start with them. Could you come to my house for coffee once a month? If you have young kids, I've done that. I can't leave the house, but if you could come to my house, I'll, I'll, (laughs) I'll give you coffee and Will you just sit and with me and I can share what's hard right now and you can give me perspective and prayer and I have a gal in my life. She'll write down the request. She'll ask me specifically. Right. So I think the prayer thing, praying with somebody who mm-hmm. understands your journey, who you yeah. can who will be uh stand by you and pray with you. Where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he's in the midst. And that has been something I've learnt more in latter years and uh it's huge. It's huge. Very, very important. Don't do it alone, yeah. ladies. Well, thank you, Helen, for giving me your time. Thank you, Heather. Such a blessing. Have a great weekend. Well, thank you. I hope to meet you one day. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope that God directed your heart to a nugget of wisdom from Helen's amazing mentoring and her sharing what worked for their family. I also wanted to point you to another episode that I recorded with her daughter-in-law, Courtney Spallbone. It was episode 201, is titled The Day Fear Died. And it's an unbelievable story of her overcoming anxiety and the death of her son and his resurrection. It's incredible. Also, speaking of death to life, uh, her husband the for King and Country, their new song, God Only Knows. If you have not watched a video or heard that song, I wanted to point you to it. God's using it in incredible ways to save lives. There have been reports from suicide hotlines where people have heard the song and decided to call the hotline instead of committing suicide. Incredible. Just how you take your gifts, you take what God has before you, and you point it towards Him and He's going to use it. So uh, you just never know. And I remember, I think Joel said he and Luke fought the most of the two brothers and it's such an encouragement to me when I have all these boys and they're so different to see that God could bring them together to work for his glory is just an encouragement to me. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I pray for each woman listening that you would direct her time. I know that Helen encouraged us to take breaks and to keep eternity in our hearts. And I pray that whatever um, need a mom has today or dad that's listening, that you would let them be led by you. Whatever conviction you're giving them, um, a place of release, a place of surrender, that they would follow that, that they would obey your conviction and uh, that they would trust you in the molding and shaping of their kids. Whatever hard things, good things, you are taking them to the end of themselves, just like the small bones moved here, not knowing what you were going to do next. And they had to trust on your provision, Lord. Thank you that we can be desperately dependent on you and your providing. I pray that truth would go deep into hearts today, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And y'all know, I'm going to talk to you about Don't Mom Alone Podcast Clubs because this summer of mentorship is a great way Even if you just get together with one other mom this summer, I know it can be kind of isolating, especially when you have young kids because uh, there's nap times and it's just so hard to get out. A pool activity is exhausting, putting all the pull-ups, the swimmer diapers on, and uh, I just know it can be really isolating season. So even if you can get together with one other mom at a coffee shop and you're invitation includes, hey, listen to this podcast episode and let's get together and talk about it. We have discussion questions for you that my VA and I have written up. If you go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash join and join the Don't Mom Alone podcast club, uh, you click emails and you'll get a link to a page on our site that has all our curriculum over the years with um, questions, even a link to a Facebook group for our leaders. Go check it out. I want to make sure you're in community. I also want to invite you to our Don't Mom Alone live event happening in Capel this year on August 23rd. And hopefully we still have tickets at the time this show releases. Go over to don'tmomalone.com forward slash live to get more details. One of our podcast club leaders is hosting it and I want to meet you there. So come join us. It's only $10 and I want to hang out with you and I want you guys to be with each other. All right. Have a great rest of your summer. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.